This is a Strategist, episode 1037. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, happy Family Day. I, I, I like that we're spending uh, the time Family here. Day together. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. This is... Families, you know, can be defined in many ways, and uh, you guys are um, not my family. No, really just one for the purposes family. of this holiday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You are, you are yeah not don't my you have family. to Nothing be a cocaine-sniffing uh, member of a, uh, you know, the How many people do you think know that? Let's tell this story very quickly. Okay. I don't even I don't there even are family days. Yeah, okay. Well, I thought you were talking about you the cocaine sniffing. Is that, the, is that yeah. related to the story? Yeah, that's, the, that's real the origin thing. of family days. So this is a real thing. So the reason there are family days oh. across, across Canada... Yeah is uh, Don Getty's son was arrested for cocaine trafficking. I believe so, not yeah. even possession. Yeah. I'm assuming that he yeah. was uh, and, using it as well. But Yeah, Don Getty was at the time the premier of Alberta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there wasn't like direct cause and effect. My son, uh, you know, uh, was a cocaine trafficker. Therefore, I'm creating family day. But it was, you know, I, gotta, I think we all need to spend more times with our families. And then, you know, like a month later, family day is created as a bit of a turn the dial. Did it work and now for it's him? everywhere. Did it, did it like... I mean, he, no, uh, but yeah. uh, I think it, it worked, worked for us. I think it did work for us. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. uh, you know, as someone whose parents immigrated here, we just, you know, didn't really know the history of the holidays. We just took what we could get and we were just like, family day. I guess that's when, yeah, the, family day. when the whites that's wanted to celebrate family day. <laughs> I guess that's I think, when the whites meet with their family. Yeah, I, We I honestly thought that it's the one day mm. that you guys would just get together as family and then, you know. I mean, that's not entirely We look down on how general Western society integrates family, uh, but that's a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's part of my other series called The Uprising, yeah, where I will talk about the failures of Western democracy. Brought to you by Strategist Media. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's excellent. Uh, it, it just documents uh, the fail points uh, and, and how we've been able to take advantage of them. And we means, you know, <laughs> it means we. Uh, Carter, you doing well? Corey, you doing well? Anything before we jump into it uh, with, uh, with this Monday? Family day, uh, non coked up. My kids are all over. um, My kids are about three years behind the trends. They've been playing a lot of Among Us. Oh, familiar with this? Okay, yeah. You hear about this? You hear about this Among Us? Yeah, you heard about that? Yeah. Did we do a whole show around that? Yeah, I think we did. No, no, we did. No, No. I'm eating. I'm eating prunes because I didn't find I couldn't find my magnesium. So this is the only way Uh, things to work. Thanks. Uh, You know what? I always love how much you share, Stephen. Was that an overshare? It is an overshare. We're going to move it on. It is family day. Let's stick with the letter F. We have not done this in a while, guys. It is our first segment, our first segment. Corey, Stephen, it's fine. It's fabulous. Or it is fucked. There are many things in the Canadian political zeitgeist going on right now. And speaking of sharing, Stephen Carter... Uh, speaking of perhaps even oversharing, uh, the five-volume, 2,000-page report on the Emergencies Act is now out. Justice Paul Rouleau has released it, and the summary is... Stephen Carter, are you going to go with the drum roll? Please, the drum roll. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Carter. Uh, that the Liberal government has indeed met the bar to invoke the Emergencies Act. Mm-hmm. Stephen Carter, I, there's, there's many details in here, but I want to start with this top line. Is this fine? Is this fabulous? Or is this fucked for the liberal government, for the Trudeau government? And I mean, I I don't want to color it a bit more than that, but maybe I will. Fine, because great, it puts it behind them. Fabulous, because it puts it behind them and the PM performed amazingly well. Or is it fucked because it now relitigates the issue? You might have other narratives, other reasons, other rationales. But Stephen Carter, over to you first. Fine, fabulous, or fucked. The Trudeau government meets the bar on the Emergencies Act inquiry. I think that your earlier point about... uh 
this being F for family is really yeah. what it's all about. This is clearly something that Trudeau kept in the family by appointing the right commissioner and getting the right outcome. So this is an F for family oh. in my <laughs> oh, thank mind. Thank you, Carter. Yeah, this is an F for family because obviously, um, you know, he kept it in the family. The decision was made. I, I would like to point out, though, that months ago, uh, months ago, Corey and I, when asked the same type of question from you, yeah. said that this would be the exact outcome because it hadn't worked before and it started to work when the Emergencies Act was invoked. So um, thank you. We were right. Definitely. I don't think, is there something that we could say that we were right that starts with F? I'm going to come back to Carter for a real answer, but but instead I'm going to go to Corey to explain what oh. Carter means by it's all in the family or F is for family. Well, Thank you, Carter, I, for that deviation that, that we did not need. I assume that he is not talking about this conspiracy theory that Trudeau is related to the uh, you know the man in charge of that oh, uh, Rouleau, the yes, Rouleau, man in charge of the commission. Yeah, so that's been going around the internet. Not not true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was kind of a familial energy bringing Canadians together with this report, yeah. right? You know, F really is for family right now, I think. But also, um, maybe fine and fucked at the same time. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, but mostly family. I don't want you to <laughs> no, think that. No, I'm thank you. I'm, I'm, it's rooted in family, which makes sense why yeah. it's fine and fucked at the same time. I mean, yeah. I think that's very, very yeah, self-explanatory to, I'd say, a majority of the people listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so, yeah, good. So... Look, this didn't change anybody's mind. This is exactly what you would think would happen. Um, there was a lot of downside risk for the liberals, but that, you know, while the consequences were high, the likelihood was low. So they ended up exactly where they were. It, you've already seen, for example, uh, Tyler Shandro, Minister of Justice here in Alberta, say, well, we disagree, basically, because, of course, you know, that's exactly how the system's supposed to work. Somebody gives a thoughtful inquiry, and then you just say, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you've had people talk about this being the end of democracy. In, in kind of the further fringes of um, of uh, the internet, communism. Here. But I think that's yeah. But that's also why it's fucked for all of us. Like, it, like it's a great example that we are we are not able to come together on these things. I don't want to overstate the healing power of an inquiry in years past. That's just nonsense. Yeah. That's not how it actually went down. But there's just this was never going to heal the wounds, shall we say? And it didn't, Carter. What is it actually? Is it is it actually <clears throat> is it is it is it this combination of fine and fucked or, or is it one of those things? What do you think it is for the liberal government? If you're in their orbit right now, how are you processing this? Like in its most objective fashion, not how are you spinning it to your leader or to your ministers, but how are you actually processing it as a, as a competent, capable staffer within the government right now? People who agree with us will continue to agree with us. People who didn't agree with us will continue not to agree with us. That's why it's part of the F is for family. The family of people that are going to vote for the uh, for the liberals will still vote for the liberals. The family of people that will not vote for the liberals will not vote for them. So this this polarization, this put being you know kind of created and pushed off into different directions, has created you know families of voters, and those families of voters aren't going to move. They're going to stay exactly where they were. Um, the inquiry, uh, to Corey's point, you know that you know not to put too much of a of a spin on former inquiries. It's not like people who, you know, the Romano inquiry just all of a sudden comes out and everybody goes, oh well, then everything's okay. Um, <clears throat> You know, not to put that 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 fine a point on it, but right now it's so polarized that really all that a anybody can expect from anything like this is the people who agree with you, the family of voters that you're going to appeal to, um, 
now have talking points to say, oh, no, it was totally legal, unexpected, as proven by this inquiry. And not one person who thought this was communism is moving one iota away from that position. Well, and the family of voters who didn't agree with you also have things to point to. For example, uh, it did say that Justin Trudeau shouldn't have inflamed the situation by using the language that he did earlier. So the other family now has their marching yeah. points, too. They, they're both disavowing the report, but also using the details and elevating the details to say, see, mm. this is actually a, was a bad thing. The way people got their accounts frozen was a bad thing because Rulo did identify some challenges with how that was implemented, although he did kind of say like – Ah, but what were you going to do? Like, it was almost impossible to disaggregate this stuff. Yeah. But yes, he said it was kind of a f- failure of justice that people would have their accounts frozen who had nothing to do with it, which was a consequence of some of these more extreme actions. So now that other family can point to it and say, see, look at that asshole. See? Um, and that's that's a problem. That's, uh, you know, I, I think that it's not the problem itself, but it certainly is identifying this divorce into two families that's occurred over time in Canadian politics. I mean, look at that asshole is, is definitely something that gets repeated in, in many families. Carter, and just before we move on, um, I'm just struggling here. A six-letter word that means all the descendants of a common ancestor. Six letters? Six letters. I'm, just, I'm struggling to fucking place it. A uh, six-letter word for six, descendants of a common six, ancestor? A common, common, yeah, all descendants of a Carter. common ancestor. No, it's not Carter. Oh, I think it might start with an F. No, I think it's Carter. I'm pretty sure it's Carter. Carter. Move on, Zane. It's It's family, Carter. It is family. That is the answer. Family. Um, Oh, family has six letters. That's that's right. Yeah, six letters. I forgot about the I. Family. No problem. It was just two. It was five. (laughs) Carter. Hey, listen. Find fabulous or fucked. Pierre Polyev's response on the Emergencies Act. I'm going to give you. A, I don't have the audio clip because why would I prepare? Why would we? Day? Yeah. I was I was with my family. Okay. Yeah. But Pierre Polyev, when the report comes out, he stands in front of a microphone and he says, "It was an emergency Justin Trudeau created by attacking his own population, by driving up their cost of living, and by making it impossible to pay their bills. He poured more gasoline on the fire with nasty insults, jabbing his figure in the faces of his own citizens." Um, uh, sorry, uh, something that e- even today's report acknowledged contributed to the length and intensity of the protest. Fine, fabulous, or fucked? If you are Pierre Polyev analyzing that straight-up strategy, is he fine, fabulous, or fucked for picking that particular lane of tone, message, and response to the Emergencies Act? Give me your take, Carter. I mean, for me, it's it's more family. I mean, here's this guy. <laughs> here's this guy who who sounds like my drunk, you know, my drunk uncle, um, you know, at Christmas and 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 Easter and New Year's Day. I mean, this is the guy who stands there and and drinks too much and says that I've never been wrong. I'm not wrong now. I will never be wrong and just continues to spout his talking points. We all have this uncle. We all know who he is. We see him on Facebook. He's posting all his shit. He's some, now he's doing videos because uncle, you know, uncle Phil figured out how to, how to use his fucking iPhone and he's swinging it around and doing his uncle videos. Phil has an iPad. Let's be clear. Uncle Phil yeah. does not have an iPhone. <laughs> and he's, and he's talking to the camera character. like he's some sort of, you know, media personality. He's Rick Mercer all of a sudden. This is a family situation this is the crazy uncle that's never been wrong it just says this is what he's thinking all the time and i mean the guy's never going to give any credit to anybody else he never will he will never acknowledge the fact that he said that the that the sovereignty act was wrong and now it's been seen to be to be right he will never acknowledge that. He will always say this was a huge mistake because this guy's tiny. He's tiny like everybody's drunk uncle on holidays. And that's why it's F for family. <laughs> Fucking Carter. Thank you. Corey, 
Fine, fabulous, reflect in your mind. I mean, in some ways, this is the tone we expect from Pierre Polyev. This is the message we expect from Pierre Polyev. But in that in that vein, is should he have gone with a different approach here? Should he have gone back to the past and continued to defend um, the 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 protests or the convoy? Your, your thoughts on this? Fine, fabulous, reflect the Pierre Polyev response, and it cannot be family. I'm going to fucking lose my shit. <laughs> oh, you know what? That is just such a family thing to say, Zane, because it is family, though. You know, listen, Carter actually hit the metaphor perfectly here because it does remind me of dinner with the family with that Uncle Phil who has that revisionist history, you know, where all of a sudden it's, well, see, people were just mad about affordability. Well, Uncle Phil, like we didn't actually have big inflation back then. This doesn't actually seem to have been the case. Uh, Well, they were just mad about you know, the, the vaccines the government was forcing down our throat. Well, Uncle Phil, a year earlier, weren't you mad at the government for not getting the vaccines fast enough? You know, and, and Uncle Phil will never admit where he was and what he was going to do. I mean, and so it does have that familial energy because we're still going to invite Uncle Phil back to the table because he's one of these two big personalities yep. in our family, our father and Uncle Phil. Right. And so we always know at the end of the day, someone's going to have to host Christmas, which is what government is. It's hosting Christmas. Just so you're following the metaphor. Yeah. And Uncle Phil is going to sit there and he's going to have a good shot at hosting Christmas because uh, at the end of the day, he's not wrong that dad screwed up a few things along the way here. And so uh, it is it is one of those things where, you know, that old like meme about the worst person, you know, makes a point. I'm not saying he's the worst person I know, but I think even uh, liberal partisans have to admit that even though Pierre Polyev might be pretty hazy on the details, there is kind of a general directional thing that uh, that things weren't rocking and rolling and going particularly well. And and certainly after we had a prime minister who ran an election in part on trying to polarize the population and say, I'm going to ride with the 80 percent and burn the 20 percent when the 20 percent bit back. Yeah, I mean, he was in some ways the author of this, which is not to say he was the exclusive author. Great assist to Russia. Great assist to some of the forces that are going on across North America here. But yeah, uh, you know, there is there is kind of a point here fundamentally that was made and so i don't think canadians are going to ding polyev on the specifics because they feel kind of directionally he might be accurate carter is it and so it's probably pretty harmless is it more than that carter is it not is it directionally and perhaps even emotionally like does he pay a price i guess the the the, the refined version of the question is does he pay a price for this message that even Intellectually, if he supported the convoy, emotionally, the anger on cost of living and the self-perpetuated to self-created crisis that that Trudeau caused, does Pierre pay a price here in your mind? I don't think so. I, again, I think that the polarization is um, is is hard to reconcile. Right. So the polarization that exists in our system right now. Um, you know that we were talking earlier about how we kind of got two different families in politics. Well, those two different families, they're just not going to see eye to eye. So Pierre is primarily talking to his people. Um, Trudeau is primarily talking to his people, his family. Uh, so I don't know that this has any more or any less impact. I mean, we spent how many months talking about the me, the me event, the you know the me whatever foundation or whatever that was. The we, the we. Charity. Oh, sure. Get mad at me because I'm self-centered, prick. Um, so, so, sorry. I'm laughing at my own joke. I thought that was hilarious. Um, no, it's, it's fine. It's the, it was fine? It was pretty good. It's fine. Anyways, it's fine. these things get forgotten by the electorate very, very quickly. And I think that 
Um, this isn't going to have much in the way of staying power. Uh, and I don't think that, that Pierre is making much hay out of it outside of his, outside of his base audience. Uh, Corey, I'm going to last, last question on this. Uh, how, what would you have done differently if you're Pierre Polyev? Would you have, would well, you have gone with the same message? This, this aggressive, assertive, like, this is, yeah. Effectively, he said, yeah, this is what I've always been saying. You know, if you're going to boil down what Pierre Polyev's message was, it was it's what I've always said, that the government overreacted in these cases. This is, I'm glad this is seen by the inquiry. I never said anything different than this. And this is all Trudeau's fault anyways. And, you know, Rulo has pointed to a couple of things there. And then then pick a fight with CBC, apparently, mm, seems to be yeah, the pivot that course. he was doing. But th- there was no reason for him to make this a giant hinge point going forward. I- I'm not sure he wants to die on the hill about whether this was a legitimate inquiry or not. And and I don't think it hurts him. So everybody gets to move on. And uh, and that's the way it was always going to be unless there was something deeply, deeply unexpected. Yeah, coming out if the of inquiry, inquiry had come back and wasn't. everything had been horrible and it shouldn't have been used, then, this, then there was a bigger price to pay. But um, Well, let's, let, let's end there, Carter. Let's let's end there. Actually, it, not not with the hypothetical world of what could have happened if this report said the liberals didn't meet the bar. Um, although that could be interesting to say what they should have done if that did were the case. So if you want to go down that road, we can. But uh, to Corey's point, is the strategy here for the liberals actually to put this to bed and move on? Like to be clear, it seems like that's the most obvious thing. But is that the mo- is that the right strategic move? If we think about it for a second, is there any remnants of what's happened? where they're vindicated that they can now hold up as a victory banner in some ways? Or is it just just minimized, to Corey's point, downside risk, not, not to quote Corey in saying that this is what he's saying, minimize downside risk and now move on? I'm curious to get your thought here, because the smart money or the obvious sense is, let's just move on, we're done with this, put it to bed, year to date, fuck it. Is that actually the right thing to do, Carter, strategically, politically, for the Trudeau liberals? Having been somebody who's occasionally taken a victory lap, um, once in a while, twice, maybe three, four times, a lot of times, um, people don't like that. They don't like when you take a victory lap on something and, and not only do mm. they not like when they take a victory lap on something, they prefer that you talk. But don't about you that. have to like, is isn't like no one else is going to toot your horn. Like, don't you have to, you know, you won, you won last week's game. Good for you. Good for you. You got to now focus on next mm. week's game. And that's, I think where, um, the opportunity lies for the liberals. I mean, this does not dog but, them anymore. This does not, not follow to push, them anymore. That's good. Not to push but too that, hard, though, Carter, enough. but if you're just playing the game and silently winning, you lose elections. Isn't that the case? Yeah, but they don't have to yeah. just stop well, here's playing. The, hmm. They don't have to stop playing the game. They just have to not play this one. They, they've got fair, all kinds fair, of other things they can go to. Fair, fair enough. Don't play this this, Corey, not to get too esoteric, same question to you, though. Same question to you. Is this a victory lap moment or is this a move-on moment? I don't think it's either. Oh. But I'll say this. The Liberals fought the 2021 election on this issue. They can't fight the 2025 election on this. And no, I don't mean Ottawa specifically, but I mean this idea of whether we were going to uh, act in a certain fashion, put up with a certain amount of blowback from the population, or if we were going to push forward on public health standards, which is, you know, at the end of the day, when you strip everything else away, those frustrations were somewhat the root of Ottawa. People will say, oh, no, I think it was other things. No, I, it was this. We talked about it at the time. It, was, it wasn't even clear what they were asking. Mm-hmm. For. It was just a channel for frustrations more vaguely, just like the Tea Party became channel for frustrations more vaguely, instead of you know being this low tax revolt that it originally began as. But 
it is just another proof point in in the character and judgment argument that people will be making against Pierre Polyev. And it might be very potent with certain audiences. It might be very potent with Ottawans, for example. And uh, the Liberals should make sure that it's not the main story, but it can certainly be part of the story about Pierre Polyev, the person, as they move forward. I, but yeah, like you can't sit there and be like, we were right, they were wrong. Okay, so what? That doesn't really mean anything about the future, to Stephen's point. It's got to be more future-focused than that. It's a long way to 2025. And frankly, I think if they're talking about this issue in 2025, not only are they not going to be talking about the things Canadians want to talk about, they're going to be actively talking about things that Canadians want to forget. Mm. And that is not a particularly great place for them to be. So, Carter, just to to round out on this, um, I want to get your thoughts on this. I said I wouldn't go here. Here we go. This is like your fourth last. Why not? Oh, I like Why it. not? Who, who gives a shit? Who's welcome back? Who gives a shit? Who's yeah, well, track welcome back. Indeed, you Hogan. Fuck off, Hogan. <laughs> yeah, fuck off, Hogan. Yeah, yeah, you want the show to be shorter? We can end right here. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Good show. Move on. Uh, Ask give... me the question, Carter. If you were scenario planning for the Liberals last week with a half a page memo of if Rouleau comes back with a we're fucked, we didn't meet the bar. What were a couple of points on that memo would have been in terms of how to effectively move on from this story? What would you have done this week if on Friday you were scenario planning for that? I'm just really curious. In like your strategist's mind, what are a couple of things you would have done for the opposite outcome sort of thing? And, and I know smart money wasn't on it, but you still have to plan for those things, right? Yeah. So I, I think that there's a couple of options, and I'm not sure which one of these I would have chosen, Zane, because I haven't really thought that deeply on it. But in general, you get the option of blaming somebody um so you could you could blame one of your one of your team members and have them take a fall you could uh declare that uh you know we've already learned from this and try and move on right we we'd already learned from this that's why we called the inquiry uh we knew just in calling it that there was a a very reasonable chance that this would be the outcome um you know which i would call the minimization strategy for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you know, so those would probably be my, my starting places. Someone drop falls on their sword or, um, or you're doing a minimization strategy. Uh, the other would be to change the channel immediately. Um, you know, you're already working on, uh, you know, big health packages. How do you kind of double down on those health packages to make them, um, more immediate, uh, more into people's hands. Like the dental thing is starting to starting finally to roll out, um, you know, how do you make that more real for people? Or what other things can you do that make make things more real that you're actually doing? Because uh, keeping in mind that this is now, you know, year year and three months old, so it it doesn't have its the same the same impact. So, um, but I think that the fall on your sword strategy would be really interesting to kind of dig into and figure out who would be the person that would fall on their, on their sword. You'd obviously want it to be someone who wasn't going to compete in the leadership moving forward. Someone who wasn't, um, you gotta, you gotta behead someone in the family. Yeah. As as you would say. Yeah. And, and, but how close, right? Could it be a, a, you know, could it be, does it have to be an elected? Could it be someone who's not elected? Um, you know, could we change out the deputy minister of the Privy Council over something like this? We got bad advice. Um, I, I don't know. I think that I think that this would require the sacrifice of, uh, of a relatively senior politician. Um, but it wouldn't be Trudeau because he's never the one who puts his head on the chopping block. Well, let me tell you something. After after um, 
after asking you this question and Corey shitting on me for asking multiple follow-ups, he now is I, I just he's just I so fucking eager this. to get yeah, it on well, this. Because just it was a good like question. a small child. Like, like my question. son does don't this. My him, son does this. Yeah. Don't let it's him a great question. You. You're welcome, Corey. How would you have scenario plan last week, Corey, for, for the for the outcome that eventually <laughs> okay. didn't happen? Well, look, Carter's saying that it can't be true. No, he's the only one that would make sense in that particular situation. I'm glad you're going down that path because that's where I was going to go afterwards. Yeah, like unless there was a smoking gun saying this minister deliberately misled the prime minister and somebody externally validated that, like if that didn't come out of the, you know, inquiry itself, then what are you, what are you going to say? The decision was yours, resign. And it's the only way that you can pretend, like, and it's not going to save the Liberal Party in a situation like that. Mm. That's a very bad day. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that doesn't just bring down prime ministers, it brings down governments. And you could see in a minority situation. Can I I be clear on that, Corey? I know you want to continue, but you think a a outcome that would have said they didn't meet the bar on Friday would have been the downfall of 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 the government could you think yeah I do. of course i do so like because what's going to happen is the uh the conservatives would bring in with all of like kind of the righteous indignation possible a no confidence motion in the government the first moment they could get a, a, you know an opportunity and what are you going to do as the ndp you're going to say no we we support them in that particular moment i i don't think so unless there was a giant sacrifice from the liberal party and i think that kind of giant sacrifice would probably have to be trudeau and so to me that does seem like the most obvious mm-hmm. consequence if it was there and you know as the prime minister he could say i disagree uh, but we have a system of laws and as the liberals we believe in a system of laws and the decision was mine that decision was called into question that that was uh you know an inquiry decided that that w- it did not meet the bar and so i resigned and I am sorry to Canadians that I let them down in this particular moment. I want you to know I got lots of advice from other people that I should be walking a different line. I didn't do it. But ultimately, as prime minister, that was my choice to make or something to try to minimize what, the damage to your what party. If, what, if, right? what if you were in that, in that PMO and Trudeau said, fuck it, if it's, uh, if it's against us, I'm not leaving. Find an alternative solution. Corey, would have been 1A on alternative solution list for you? Well, then Carter is going down the right path. He, you can't really say it's why. I mean, you can say it's why we called the inquiry, but let's be clear: the inquiry was required to be called yeah. underneath the act, right? Um, but you say yes, it was a sixty forty decision. It was very tough. Canadians were confused. We were confused. We didn't know the right answer, but we knew we needed to do something, and we did something. And I'm not sorry that I did something. I wish that I had the perfect information that the inquiry was able to get when I made my decision. But this is a sign that the system works. We're we're a government of laws, and the system works. And so now I'm bringing in all of these new safeguards and all of this new legislation to protect Canadians, uh, so that in the next time there's a moment of crisis, you know the the right thing happens, uh, and we have better information. Because if I'd had better information at the time, I would have made better decisions. Carter, for for the for. Yeah, I was going to, and, and maybe I'll just add my question. For Lavalin, it was Jerry Butts that left. Could a senior yeah. staffer here have done? I'm, I'm, and add your thing and maybe answer my question too. Well, I wouldn't actually mind necessarily fighting the election on this. You know, even if the elect, you know. You mean calling lo- an election on this on the back of No, this? losing oh, the government. No way. Oh, losing fuck. the government okay, yeah. and having it go. Because and people staying, will and be, staying as leader. Yeah. And people will be pissed about the le- about having to do another election. Um, and I think that you can make the case that um, there are those people who don't agree. There are those people who don't see this as a that's interesting a, as an imperative. 
there are those people who don't understand the importance of how protecting this country. And I think that there's 40% of the population that agrees that giving control to those people is a bit of a problem. Um, could have worked. I mean, could it work? Maybe. Really? But I think that it's it's got a, you know, there's a high risk tolerance inv- involved there. But, you know, it's either that or have them step down, I think. Um, yeah, so if you sure want to keep you the job, running down. the election on this is, is interesting. Corey, I, I, your final thoughts on that, and then, then we'll finally move on. Unless Maybe. you don't want to, because it's well, getting too exciting for you. Because it's yeah, just too yeah. good. It's too interesting yeah. now. Yeah. Well, look... I maybe you need to sweeten the deal, bring your coalition together. Like the other thing is like, again, minority government. So you say those things, you've also got to be able to uh, get the NDP on side uh, and hold your party together, which I don't think is a given if you, if you had something come down like that, just to be really clear. Especially if you haven't perhaps primed them on, on, on on the sense of like where our moves might be one or two steps. Well, absolutely. Well, I, I think that, the NDP, you would then offer the NDP a piece of theater, maybe as like a bit of a, a sweetening of the pot where they say this is outrageous that these things happen. There need to be more checks and balances on cabinet. So we're demanding two cabinet seats in these portfolios in order to continue supporting this government. You know? Yeah, well, and that would bad. be interesting to see hey, Singh try and make that play. Hey, Carter, last question. Uh, on this. <laughs> I, I actually I actually did come up with a question. This is that such I, a I professional think podcast. That's why I love it. No, I Good. listen. I, yeah, we. Yeah. I I think this is fascinating. Okay, so tell me this: um, When did the liberals have their cabinet retreat? It wasn't like more than a month ago, right? It was like a yeah, couple weeks. Three weeks ago. Weeks ago. Yeah. Do you feel like something like this could have been presented by the staff to a cabinet retreat on scenario planning? Because if the scale of the defeat is what Corey's saying, that this could take down the government. Do you feel like they present it to cabinet? Like, we're now getting into, like, speculation, but I'm kind of curious around, this goes back to our last episode on decision circles. Like, do you think they present it around how we navigate this thing, win, lose, etc.? Corey's giving me a, a very strong no, no but Carter, I want to go to you first. No. And then I want to hear why Corey's, like, on a definite no camp. Because, Carter, you seem a little bit more ambivalent. I, I don't think so. And the reason is that I mm. briefed caucuses and cabinets about election planning and every single or or strategy if you will prime ministerial or first ministerial strategy and every time you do it's like explaining sign language to sea lions they they (laughs) they just simply don't have the capacity um to understand okay but imagine if sea lions did understand sign language that would be fucking amazing no it'd be great if they understood but it's 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 not going to happen right because sign you know sea lions are idiots and so are your caucus <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking cabinet here. I'm, I'm hoping for a slight ex, ex, uh, escalation Corey, round us out i promise it's the last uh, point on the emergencies act uh, why no? Why no for you? Why was why were these scenarios, if they were present within the PMO, if this was a, a massive, monumental uh, government takedown worthy decision, would something like this not get briefed to cabinet at a, at a retreat or something? Well, a hundred reasons. Uh, give me some a few. specific yeah, give to me this moment, some that are more general. On the more general, I, I would agree with Stephen, this is not the place for that conversation. That's a conversation you have with senior political staff and strategists here. In part, cabinet would spend all morning talking hypothetical scenarios and going down rabbit holes that don't mm-hmm. exist. And they would have a, you know, and they would leave anxious and they would be thinking about these things that have very low probabilities of happening. Fuck, yeah. And then could you imagine, like, they have plans if this goes wrong. And, like, this is the tactics in that particular moment that might allow them to continue to govern. Yeah, yeah. And the prime minister doesn't intend to resign in these moments. And if there's any kind of dissent... And I'm not saying all of it. I'm saying some of it. Sorry, I, I don't mean, like, they're giving them the entire plan, yeah, sure. right? 
Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, but then the other one, and it's kind of more specific to this particular moment, is, and yeah, I hear what you're saying about you wouldn't give it to them. Some of the obvious solutions require you, to Stephen's first point, to throw somebody at that table the to the yeah, wall. Yeah, and this cabinet. Right? Good point. So, yeah. You know, so like that is that, that's tough, right? So I, you know, you just would not go. One of you, uh, you would say leave on a like, conflict of interest. Yeah. We might be talking about. Yeah, it. we would say, look, uh, we know this decision's coming. We're very confident, especially after the exceptional performance by our prime minister, that everything's going to be fine. If it's not fine, we've got a group working on some of like the more remote scenarios. But just know that regardless of what happens, and we are sure it will be fine. We've got this well in hand. This is not something we need to worry about today. Yeah. So it's. It's a bit of a rah-rah, you know, don't, you just, don't look. Cabinet's almost always a bit of a rah-rah. Like, caucus is yeah. always a rah-rah. Cabinet, even cabinet now, you want them to stay very focused because that's your team of rivals too, right? You go down, the most likely person to become the next prime minister is sitting at that table. So, you know, you gotta, you, you, treat, them, you treat them well, but you don't necessarily let them in on everything. Well, and look, I think that there are things that cabinet provides immense strategic value on. I'm not quite where Stephen is on the seal thing, but this is not this is not one of them, yeah. right? Like this kind of like chess move. How do we make sure the media mm-hmm, does this mm-hmm, or that? Mm-hmm. Like I actually find those are deeply unhelpful cabinet conversations. How can you not be with good me at strategizing? How do on we, the chess on the seal. how do we reach out to these groups? How do we make sure we're elevating our story? Those are things cabinet's better at. But like the, the, like this, this, these kind of machinations is. The problem is, Zane, and this kind of goes to the first one, sort of expanded too. This is not the kind of strategy cabinet's good at. Because it is kind of that team of rivals Stephen's talking about and people are in some ways auditioning for the job, Mm -hmm. you're going to have someone take the righteous stand. You're going to have someone take the calculated stand. You're going to have somebody call out the calculated stand for being calculated because they're somewhat righteous. You're going to have the person who tries to broker the peace. And, you know, on a certain point, it's a stage and and you just – not helpful. You just don't need it at that moment. Oh, my God. Uh, Carter, I'm going to move on to our next one. Oh, finally. Quebec this is, is done adding to their family, at least as it relates to asylum seekers, Stephen Carter. Francois Legault <laughs> has told Justin Trudeau in a letter, send all asylum seekers to other provinces. Uh, he says that Quebec has done more than their fair share. Uh, and in his letter, he called for asylum seekers to be redirected to other parts of the country, regardless of their profile. He's facing a lot of pushback, a lot of um, commentary and criticism, a lot of it, I would say, outside of the province of Quebec, and I'm mm-hmm. sure some inside as well. Fine, fabulous, or fucked, the strategy for Francois Legault. I mean, this is a man who's won government uh, through his, his, his party's coalition party, very popular. Yeah. Uh, for the last half decade, has been probably the most popular premier uh, in his province. But taking a stance that kind of, you know, re-emboldens his perspective on um, broader sort of identity politics and, and multiculturalism in, in Canada. Your thoughts on this from a pure political strategy. I'll let you, I'll let you play there, Carter. Mm-hmm. Fine, fabulous, or fucked for, uh, for Francois Legault. Well, this doesn't feel dangerous at all, Zane. Thanks for throwing it to me first. Um, so the fine, fabulous, or fucked, is that what, what it is? It, that, that's the whole show thus far. Yeah, you've, you've yeah. gone with I'm just going to check your family for most of your answers for well, no fucking reason. I hate to do this to you again, Zane, but for yeah. me, this feels like family. This feels like you're what you're trying to do is is protect the people who are closest to you and bring in like you want people to feel like you're taking care of them. And in, in economically troubled times or, or other times, 
more people coming in seeking asylum feels like a burden rather than an opportunity. Now, personally, I disagree. I think that the immigration has been our great, uh, our great opportunity in Canada. Uh, every time we have waves of immigration, we have waves of prosperity that follow. Um, that is, you know, just desperately true. Um, but Francois Legault does not have to worry about the future forever. What he has to worry about is how to keep his family and his coalition together in, in provincial politics in Quebec. And this is a popular, you know, this is going to be popular for him within a certain subset of the Quebec uh, population. Is it the right thing to do? No, I don't think so. But um, sometimes being right in politics is less important than being reelected. Now, he's a long ways from an election, but he's still, I think, uh, right to do it this way. Corey, fine, fabulous for, for Francois Legault. In, in this is a pure political play, pure political strategy to send all asylum seekers to other provinces. They're not welcome here in Quebec. We have done more than our fair share, he says. Uh, let's talk about that more than our fair share for a sure. moment here. Uh, because principle of charity at all times, he's not wrong that Quebecers by far, like on a per capita basis, accept more asylum seekers than you know any other province here, at least based on the statistics I was pulling up from Stats Canada for the year 2022. Like it's not even mm. close. I, and, you know, Ontario would be the next highest one. But yeah, there, Quebec is in the thousands. And Alberta is in the tenth, mm. just to give you a sense of the differential here. So um, it's certainly true that there are more asylum seekers showing up in Quebec than they are showing up in, in other parts of the country. Um, just as that's probably true, there's more in Florida and Texas than there are in, in other parts of the United States, right? Just part of its geography, part of its cultural, part of its history, you know, all of those things. But you have to keep in mind that those seeking asylum are just a small, 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 small subsection of overall immigration yes. in the country. Yes. And when you look at it through that lens, I, first of all, I just want to be clear. I agree with Carter. I, I think immigration is one of the great unalloyed goods in this world. It makes Canada so much stronger yeah. and so much more diverse and so much more interesting and connects us to the rest of the world and it generates that economic growth. But Quebec is not – maintaining their quote-unquote fair share of overall immigration you know ontario number one with a bullet but when you start you know bc number two in raw numbers quebec in raw numbers number three but alberta in per capita numbers it, probably number two or three I, mm. I haven't done the quick math here but the, the reality is quebec starts to fall down that list pretty quick when you start thinking about it per capita here Quebec is not this big magnet of immigration overall. Now, what they've identified is that a higher percent of their population of asylum seekers. I got a real problem with Quebec having problems with asylum seekers as a group and, and thinking there's something fundamentally worse about that group mm -hmm, of immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's what sort of grinds my gears. Now, obviously, they are higher needs because almost by definition, they are coming with some people that, you know, a lack of resources. But a lot of the supports come from the federal government in that case, not exclusively. And certainly it's a burden on the provinces. But I think a more humane, more sensible solution would have been to increase the number of supports and increase the demands for an equity of support uh, rather than saying they can't come here, we're full, which seems like an utterly bullshit solution, especially given the nature and the diversity of the Quebec community and the fact that we know that these asylum seekers will be ultimately more successful if they are, are in communities that are supporting of them and not thrown all of a sudden to balls mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and have no mm -hmm. bloody relatives and no, no family no community and connection. No yeah, yeah, no community. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, 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 
I've given a couple of different nuances on here, right? But ultimately, this is family. You know, as much as we've been using this as a joke, the reality is Quebec is trying to define for themselves the right to determine who their family is. And they can they can say it's about their, their overabundance of asylum seekers. It's not. It's about Quebec wanting to control, and they do control to an extent, immigration to the province of Quebec. And they want to maintain their ability to define what the Quebec family is. And I think that's a real shame because there is this growing divergence between viewpoints, between what English Canada sees as the value of immigration and what French Canada sees as the value of immigration. And there's reasons for that. Let me just be super clear. When you're in Quebec, there is this sense the French language is under assault. Certainly when you look at North America, how could you kind of not think that from a pure demographics point of view? Uh, so they're less likely to see anything that it, it changes or morphs the French identity as a welcome thing. In English Canada, English is obviously the prevalent language. There's a little bit more like, yeah, okay, we're going to grow and diversify this country, and English will continue to be the prevalent language. It's just different dynamics, but I'm not giving Quebec a pass. I think this is really unfortunate that their view of family is so limited that they would see it as about, you know, defining Quebec in this way. Hey, Carter, good, uh, good let's actually, let's, really yeah, yeah, let me, let me fucking lean into this because it's not going to get better. Uh, <laughs> Carter, are you surprised, like I am, that there is no national or federal, and I don't mean that in a simply elected position, voice of defending multiculturalism, of kind of, you know, pushing back harder against Quebec? We know why the political federal elected leaders are not doing it. They fucking need Quebec. But like, when you compound Bill 21 with the asylum seeker conversation and the undertones of it, the pressure against the uh, special representative uh, against Islamophobia and, and putting her through the ringer over the last couple of weeks, there's a, a almost underlying message that multiculturalism is not welcome in this province, that it's a, it's a failure akin to perhaps what Germany said a half decade ago or so. Are you surprised that there's no... Um, voice on the on the federal or national stage pushing back against this or does your strategy brain say yeah but it's not it's not tenable it's it's not tenable to have that voice because every political party every stripe uh needs quebec in its current state to to kind of pick up a political victory whenever the next election happens i'm kind of curious to delve into that a bit as a as an offshoot from this conversation on asylum seekers in lego let's look what happened to um uh, um you know, Jyoti Gondek, when she decided to pick up the the, the Bill Twenty One argument, um, you know that went that went poorly. It went horribly for her um, because it Did turns it? out, like, explain oh, yeah. to me how it went we, horribly. Like, we, even just in the confines of Calgary. Yeah, just in the confines of Calgary, trying to find the money, trying to connect because you know the taxpayers lost their minds. How dare you send uh, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of our hard hard earned income um, to to try and fight. Uh, in the courts, this this absolutely horrific decision um, that is Bill 21 uh, coming out of Quebec. How dare you take money from our pockets to fight um, that which is wrong? And so then they go out and try and raise the money. And, it, and no one wants to donate to it either. Um, because at the end of the day, these voices that you're looking for, they're not just going to appear out of thin air. Someone has to pay mm -hmm. for, even if it's just paying for, you know, digital ads or or someone's time to, to make a Facebook post. These things don't just happen overnight. Um, yeah, some of them are groundswell. Some of them come from, from big volunteer bases and things like that. But 
more often than not, we need to have some money to pay for lawyers or some money to pay for the activities of, of the of protest. And in Canada, we basically rejected that. The only person who was able to get away with it was Patrick Brown, who is serving in uh, in Brampton, which is which is a different socio you know uh, demographic makeup. Um, you know, when we saw that same discussion across Canada, the places that didn't have that demographic makeup completely rejected it, which show, goes to show that we needed more. We needed more understanding of how multiculturalism actually matters. There's nobody standing up for it right now because there's not enough people who believe it, not enough people who understand it. Um, you know, Corey and I both had to make sure that we were saying what we thought because, you know, people will think differently of us if, you know, the, 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 this it's easy to assume that people want to be uh, protective because that feels to me like it's the normal place. Um, it's not the normal place for people who I think have studied this issue. Multiculturalism uh, has done nothing uh, but benefit Canada um, on very, basically every, stati- every, stati- every statistic. Um, but small-minded people don't read stats. Small-minded people just make up their minds and, uh, and fight the wrong fights. I've got two follow-up questions. One is the same one I asked a Carter to you, Corey, as it relates to are you are you also surprised that there's no national or federal voice fighting against this thing? Uh, and then I'll jump into my other one, which is focuses on one particular leader. But your thoughts here? Yeah, well, am I surprised? Not really. It's a reflection of the two solitudes, right? You, you. Ha- I mean, I, we've talked about this on the show in the context of the Quebec election. I think that Canadians should care about elections in the provinces. I think Canadians should care a lot about elections in Quebec for a ton of reasons, not least of which is the Mm -hmm. politics there is discussed in an entirely different way. And I think in ways that would surprise and or alarm other Mm -hmm. Canadians. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's part of why federal politicians get away with it. Listen, let me be really clear. There's There's a cleave that has occurred in all sorts of discourses. It's not new. It's decades old. But we we seem less willing to sort of follow it all, right? You know, we were aware of what Rene Levesque was up to, and we were talking about the thrust between, you know, the Quebec Liberals and the and the PQ back in the eighties and the nineties. But now it's just like, I, you know, some of these examples I, I could give you, like they're just not our view of what federalism is in a lot of the rest of the country, which doesn't actually mean we are right because we don't get a monopoly view on that either, right? Like that's something that needs to be kind of collectively determined by the federal government. But here's what I want to say. I, you know, I deplore Bill 21. We've talked mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. The growing Islamophobia, the xenophobia, this asylum situation just throws more logs on the particular yeah. fire here. These are really bad solutions, but they're bad solutions to a problem that Quebec clearly has and feels, which is around protecting the unique identity. So if if we as Canadians as a whole, Canadians including Quebec, including Alberta, including Ontario, if we want the conversation to change in Quebec, we're going to need different solutions to protect Quebec's unique identity. You know, if, if these are the ones that they're going to, we should be asking ourselves, what can we be doing? to foster the Quebec culture in Quebec and throughout the rest of Canada, make sure that it has a place of prominence because the fundamental critique is not wrong. French is deeply irrelevant, I would assume, to both of your lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Am, am I wrong? No, no. You know, it's, it's only barely relevant to mine because I'm the son of a Quebecer and my kids go to French immersion school. And, you know, we, we need both to find solutions to protect Quebec's unique identity and we need to redefine that identity over time in a more expansive and permissive way. Uh, so what are we going to do? We can't just look at Quebec and say, shame on them, shame on them. The reality is they are a minority group in the North American context. And we need to be thinking about how we support the Quebec culture and identity in a broader sense in this country or else it's just going to keep happening, right? The shitty solutions will be the only ones on the table and Quebecers will pick them. Yeah. And we need better solutions. Carter, here's, here's my, my, my second follow-up. And I'm going to start with you on this. February 20th which is when we're recording today. It's family day. I don't know if you guys know that. Is it family um, day? Oh. It is family day today. Oh. Yeah, yeah. If, That's a weird coincidence because a lot of our yeah, answers have been around family. It's, it's now wild. that I think it's about it. Kind of, um, if you were to invite yeah. Jagmeet Singh to your, your family uh, dining table, would now be the appropriate time to convince him after multiple elections that, dude, give up on Quebec. Support the, the right side of history argument on multiculturalism, defending you know, uh, the, the, the strident um, sort of defense against Bill 21, the, the things he may have wanted to say that we've, we've heard through some leaks in other places that he's wanted to say, but maybe he's been politically limited to say, is now the time or do you still believe that, that if Jagmeet Singh were to take that position for the federal NDP, that this would be the end of the NDP's pathway through Quebec for, for generations? I, I've stress tested this question every six months or so. I'm now kind of combining the proof points of the last couple of weeks um, and saying, is now the time for Jagmeet Singh? Carter, your thoughts on this. Corey, I'll get your thoughts and then we'll move on. Sorry, my, my dog's squeezing her squeeze toy again, or his squeeze toy. So you'll hear a lot of squeaking. Um, Ryder, go away. Um, here's the thing. I think that what you're saying is essentially, is it time for Jagmeet Singh to lead? Is it time for him to be authentic? And in my experience, leading and being authentic uh, is the pathway to success. So why the hell isn't he being successful? Well, because no, everybody looks at him and says, um, Jagmeet, you're not actually being authentic or true to yourself. So if you can be true to yourself, if you can be authentic in a leadership opportunity, you should take it. He should have taken it years ago. But for some reason, he thought that he could follow in Jack Layton's footsteps. Jack Layton was true and authentic to himself, and that worked in Quebec. If you want to be true and authentic to yourself, Jagmeet, you may find that that actually works across the country of Canada. But until you are, most of us are going to write you off as the, um, you know, the weak politician that, that you are. Corey, are you persuaded by Carter's argument? Uh, if, if Jagmeet Singh were at the dinner table, you were also there. Uh, on this Family Day Monday, would you would you double down? Would you underline and underscore Carter's argument, or would you have a different one for Jagmeet Singh as it relates to perhaps authenticity, but things that that you'd expect and and you somehow know he does believe in, but has not uh, maybe said because of the political pathway that his party needs uh, through Quebec. Yeah, you know. If I had a time machine, I would do things. It's an interesting question because let me put it this way. I actually think this is much shakier ground than built. Like 20. now? Because of you mean now shaky. Yeah, because of what I yeah. said. Yeah, 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 like the asylum. I hear you. I you hear know, you. Quebec yeah. actually does bring in a lot of asylum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? You mean this issue in, so in, in, this, in isolation. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, the, the DeSantis tie-ins and the fact that this is the same tactic that Correct. just absolutely shitheel villains have used in the United yeah, States. Yeah. That's, that's a problem, I think, uh, for Legault. Uh, and I'm not even sure, and perhaps this goes to the two solitudes thing, just how little he appreciated how it would land with the rest of his compatriots in Canada. But um, this is shakier ground because there's kind of a fundamental statistical truth underneath it, whereas Bill 21 was just 
just picking on minorities. It was mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. not cool in any way, shape, or form in my point of view. And again, understand the problems Quebec is facing. This is not an appropriate solution in a liberal democracy, in my opinion. So, um, you know, I, I think first of all, I would start with that lecture. Like now, you know, you 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 should have been here a mm-hmm, long time mm-hmm, ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jugme. This is this is not the moment where you should have had the light bulb switch, but hey, better late than never, I guess. So let's start talking about how you can you can kind of create uh, you know firmer positions on this matter. I do think to go back to my last answer, it can't just be shame on Quebec. Mm. Right? Like it it's got to be more narrow, like, you know, shame on Legault, maybe, but you know, shame on uh, you know the uh, Quebec National Assembly that might be considering I, whatever it is. Right here is what we're going to do. Obviously, we want to be first and foremost human beings. We want to make sure these asylum seekers are treated fairly and given the best chance for success going forward in their lives. In many cases, that will be in the province of Quebec. Not in all cases, right? We do want to make sure it's more equitable. But you know what? That's what a federal government's for. That's where federal supports come into this matter. I think you could take positions like that and start working in firmer language and saying, this this can't continue. We can't continue to go down this road. We've got to treat people as people and uh, everybody's got to have the same rights uh, and advantages afforded to them. That would probably be what I suggest. Like, I, I don't think that this would be a moment where I almost treat it like a light bulb moment because I think that it's also kind of shitty to everybody else where he turned the other way before this so-called light bulb mm. moment. It, it's almost got to be like, you know, we've been rolling down this hill for a while. I'm not comfortable with this. Yeah. Yeah. It's finally come here. Every day they push further and they finally pushed over the line. I'm... But why is this over the line? Why like, is this over the I, line? Because I finally, because I'm Doug Meat Singh and I finally found a backbone. You know, I, I mean, I think he should have had this backbone right from the get go. I, I agree with you. You guys no are both saying that. You guys are both saying that. But, but what no Corey's trying to say is that how do you, how do you come in and, 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 and contextualize this to say, here's why I've picked this moment. Right, and, and well, as I would a say position I of strength, rather than a position of uh, desperation or weakness, or finally coming to the realize that after three elections, that I'm not gonna, I'm not, they're not gonna love me, I'm not gonna love them, sort of thing in in Quebec, right? So it's about positioning and and also like long term positioning for the party, right? Not to poison the well for the long term chances of the NDP in Quebec. I get Listen, the tough you political to navigation win, he has, right? If you have but to, but I'm, I'm wondering this way, is it worth winning? It's a great question. I mean, I've I've said no many times when asked this question yeah, about Jagmeet Singh. It's not worth. NDP. It's not worth especially on issues perhaps so core to, um, you know, um, people not just like him, but people like him himself and and who he represents, especially from an identity perspective. Yeah. Carter, we're moving on to our final one, our oh, final great. fine, fabulous, or okay. fucked. The lobbying commissioner has proposed new rules for lobbying. Uh, the proposed changes would set monetary limits on what lobbyists should offer officials in the way of gifts and food, so uh, has specific limits. They would also reduce the length of the cooling off period, the period of time after a person leaves a politician's employment when they're not supposed to lobby that politician. It used to be one full election cycle. They're now proposing one or two years. I want to talk about that in a second. Um, so they're trying to make these rules clear, appealing them back in some areas. But the commissioner, and this is what I want to talk to you about in particular, divides political work into two tiers. The higher tier including includes managing electoral campaigns, organizing fundraisers, and coordinating political research. The lower tier includes door knocking and handing out campaign material. The guidelines propose a two-year waiting period for the higher tier and a one-year waiting period for the lower tier. One-year waiting period for, for door knocking and, and handing out campaign lit. Carter, 
you you've you've are someone who has many thoughts around money and politics, lobbying and politics, this sort of political adjacent but entirely political world of government relations. Fine, fabulous, or fucked on the whole, the proposed new suite of rules for for lobbying in this country. Well, this is really this is really close to home for me. So this is family for me because this is you know I'm trying to to find a if you are going to lobby in this in this world if you're going to make money in this world like you need to have connections i i feel like we've gone to the place where we have tried to uh put rules in place of of uh actual expectations and and behaviors i think Corey has put this better than i just did a couple of times we've over we've made this too many rules and to what end is it? Does anybody feel like we've got a more ethical government? Does anybody feel like our, our government is better because of these rules? I don't. I personally feel that if someone door knocks for you, um, you don't know. You know, they they don't I, they don't earn that much from door knocking. I don't think you need to put a uh, a, a, a and when you say around. earn that much, you should be clear. You mean like you are not talking monetary. You mean in terms of clout, capital, and, yeah, and access. A junior person, unless you are saying, you, unless you are saying, treating them like like they're some sort of um, you know uh, you know world dealer here. I mean, this is a a volunteer who door knocked for you, and now you want you know they 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 want to go and and lobby, and now they can't lobby because so that job is uh, is is not there for them. Um, like, I don't understand why we're preventing these relationships. Um, I don't think that this is making things better. Uh, obviously I I'm totally behind the gift thing. The gift thing makes total sense to me. I mean, I think a $40 gift is a little bit, you know, whatever. I don't think anybody's being bribed for 40 bucks. Um, but whatever, whatever the number is, we can set a number, but I just don't understand why we're trying to prohibit, People who door knocked in a campaign from being able to 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 lobby a, a, a minister. Why we're trying to curtail people's economic opportunities just because they chose to be involved in politics. And what we get now is all of these people who who have political interests who say, "Oh no, I can't do that. My job won't let me be involved in politics." Listen to what we're saying. We're saying, "No, you can't be involved in politics." Because, you know, your job is so sensitive that you can't be a part of this. Well, no one should be told. No one should be told that they shouldn't be a part of the political process. It's too fucking important. We need more people involved in politics, not less people involved in politics. And ethics commissioners and lobbying commissioners and all these fucking people don't have a clue what it's like actually to volunteer in a campaign and why people are actually involved. Do they want a huge handout? Maybe some of them do. Others just want a fucking reference or the ability to have friends that they can call and chat with in the future. And that is called networking. That's what we encourage people to fucking do. It's bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Okay, Corey, you cannot refute what I said. Carter brings the heat. Fine, fabulous, or fuck the new suite of rules, Corey, in your mind that the lobbying commissioner is proposing. Well, having been in the lobbyist family at some point, having been in the government family, so we talk about politics, but this also applies to senior government officials. On the other um, side of it, sure. Hey, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah this, um, the, the reality is the, these rules 
have big effects. I, you know, I agree with a lot of the direction of what Stephen said, maybe not some of the heat. I certainly don't agree with him saying we don't need less people involved in politics. It's fewer people involved oh, my in politics, bad. Stephen. It's a very simple rule. Again. If you can actually count it, it's yeah. fewer. No, it's I feel a volume bad. thing, it's I'm less. Sorry. So. I let down my family. Carter's never really seen people on campaigns as someone that are, are as countable figures. Yeah, that's it's true. Just it's like, more of a volume. It's, it's true. It's more, more of like a, a this liquid amorphous sort of like, yeah. So, no, it makes sense. Okay. Here's the thing. The clearer they make these rules, I've really come to the conclusion the worse the situation will get. Because minor infractions and major infractions feel the same. It's just an infraction, right? And it gives a roadmap to bad actors. Like all of a sudden it's like, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't do this, so I'm allowed to do it, even if it's deeply egregious and outside of the the spirit of it. We need to get back to a principles-based approach on this stuff. We need to get back to a common sense approach on this stuff. I actually don't have problems with giving ethics commissioners more discretion if the alternative is these insane rules, right? And and so let's talk about this gift thing, a $40 cap. I, I think one of the people in one of the stories was saying, so what? I'm supposed to know if I bought them a coffee and bagel four times? All of it, like they came to an event and we offered them a coffee and bagel four times. They're talking uh, about the cumulative effect you know, that they want to impose on this. Yeah, like right. they're all of a sudden over forty and we can't feed them, or like what the hell does that make sense for? Well, I sort of agree. And and isn't the more principles based approach just to say don't give material gifts to people, mm-hmm. right? Like it, okay, let's put it this way. I show up at 10 of your events and I have a coffee and bagel each time. Am I really violating something? Is my is my vote, my vote being bought? Probably yeah. not. No. You hand me a card that allows me every time I go buy a Tim Hortons to have a free coffee and bagel? Yeah, that's different, right? Material gifts to people, common sense approaches to things. A line like, would this be something you'd offer to anyone else outside of politics makes sense. Because you invite people to a lot of things if you happen to be a nonprofit group. Who's going to be caught up in this, Mm -hmm. by the way? Everyone thinks corporation immediately, but there's going to be like – I don't know. Like you're going to have like some housing – The Me Foundation. Like affordable housing group. The, yeah, the oh, Weed the Foundation. Poor, poor yeah. people. Yeah, poor people at the Weed Charity, right? I, I think that's really unfortunate. I think the further we go down this road, I, I mean, the worse it becomes. And it was interesting reading the coverage because there were people who thought these rules went too mm-hmm, far, mm-hmm. and I agree. And there were people who thought these rules didn't go far enough, and I agree. Because ultimately, it's just focusing on the small stuff, not the big stuff. It's giving passes on things I would never give a pass on, and it's drilling down on other things that don't fundamentally matter that much. And, you know, like Carter, these these rules matter to me personally. You know, part of what I'm doing right now has to do with these rules. When I left government, there's only so many places I could take a job at my level of seniority that we're not going to touch lobbying mm. in any way, shape, Like or your universe was severely and, restricted, I would imagine. Yeah, very much so. And look, I'm lucky. I, I ended up in a great job and turns out I love what I'm doing. I could have left years ago at this point, right? But the number of sectors that I was able to go into at that moment were super narrow and I kind of didn't like that. And so, you know... I, I think it's stuff for people to think about and remember that the more onerous you make this, A, you're going to push people away, and B, you're going to make every infraction kind of feel small, even when mm-hmm. they're not. We've we got to change our approach to these things more generally. Well, We're going to leave that segment there. Mary Ying, oh, go ahead, like, we saw this with Ng, right? Oh, with with hires, the hiring of the, the friend. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, really, is, you know, is, uh, is Amanda really, you know, changing the world for a, a $6,000 con- contract? Like, well, it, I'm not sure she should have done that, but I take your Why point. wouldn't she? You know. She trusts Amanda. Amanda is well known as being an effective and efficient person in this world. Why wouldn't she be allowed to hire her? I mean, Amanda, 
Like, I just don't see this as, as the big sins that everybody else is seeing it as. Carter, we're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our final segment, our oh, over, under, and our segments? lightning round. Carter, no, Carter, well, if you look at the time, you'll see that um, that our time is up together, right? It's the uh, our, our time is almost nigh. Here well, I'm getting Carter. pretty but old, I, I, and well, it goes let, me, fast. let me tell you something. I, I'm, I'm excited to hear your response on this next one. Okay, okay? Stephen Carter at the NBA All Star Game. Which, by the way, um, who were the two teams in the NBA All Star Game? Uh, Stephen Carter, can you one fact this for me? Uh, the the two teams, yeah, the they two were. Teams. It was not. It was not East or West, and it was not uh, North America versus the world, which has been some of the uh, the some splits of the that they've done ones. in the past. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what was it this time, Stephen Carter? Lay it on me. They were named after individuals, but I can't remember the individuals. Name one of the two individuals for your one fact. Magic. Ma- magic was not one of the individuals. No. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll magic. give you another shot. Think of a Dirk. current player. <laughs> definitely not Dirk okay, Carter oh, self-voting yeah, okay. Carter at the NBA All-Star Game where Team Giannis and Team LeBron faced off Julie Black well-known Canadian singer sang the lyrics of Oh Canada but she didn't well she kind of changed some of those lyrics yeah um, well one word actually she swapped out the anthem's usual line Oh Canada our home and native land with Oh Canada our home on native land it's earning her a lot of praise online it's getting her a lot of sort of support from certain communities others of course saying no that's not where it is are you in or are you out on a well-known award-winning canadian singer changing a word in our national anthem she said she's done it with much consultation and talked to much folks but it's not the right words of the national anthem your take on this Stephen carter in or out i i like this one i think this is a great you're, a you're great actually idea. in yeah, I think this is great. It's uh, it's really something that I think that can bring to- together the entire Canadian family. Are you saying that just so you could get family in? Because now I actually want to know if you believe this. I'm, like, no, I'm I dying to know it. if you're actually. I, I actually do. Do you view it. it as a as a form of advocacy and activism that like, and, and, or or do like how are you kind of processing this? Is what I'm actually curious. about. Oh man, this is going to be a bigger conversation now. Way to go, Zane. We were trying to get out of here. Uh, lightning round, indeed. Um, here's the thing. Um, the Truth and Reconciliation Report and how we view and how we are progressing on it, it has almost entirely been just boiled down to a discussion about, you know, land acknowledgments and speeches and stuff like that. We're not doing a lot of the work that needs to be done if we're going to actually be talking about First Nations issues and where the First Nations actually uh, fit within our Canadian culture. And I think that this is a great way to recognize um, the colonial ism that, that that started canada it's not one of those judgy things that's going to end the country if we if, if we do this um but it does give us the ability to restart a discussion about first nation issues and how we're going to uh tackle them moving forward and i think that that's an important conversation to have Corey, are you in or out on on the julie black uh changing one of the words in international anthem at the nba all-star game I, I'm out. I'm 100% out. I'm as out as when people say, in all thy son's command. I don't want the national anthem to be something we arm wrestle over and just pick the lyrics that match our worldview. That's not the fucking oh, wow. point of a national anthem. And by the way, since when do we use the phrase native land? In your answer, Stephen, you, you talked about First Nations. You talked about Indigenous. You didn't say native because we don't say that anymore. So I don't actually think it was a particularly awesome thing that was done. And at the end of the day, 
Let's not wordsmith the Canadian anthem. Let's just get rid of it because it's not actually very good. What? That's that's what, which, which, which 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 Drake song should we replace it with? Corey is the question. Uh, well, clearly Passion Hotline Bling. But <laughs> uh, Carter, hold on, hold on. No, no, you have to ask actually, me you know if what? I know I, a Drake song. No, no, I, I don't. I actually am very curious about oh, okay. this. If okay, if your worldview saying that this is a piece of activism or whatever it is, you're in. You're in on this, right? Okay, so yeah. go in with me for a second. Should a federal or provincial political party join you on going in on this what i'm saying is should a political party jump in and say you know what i like this or is this just too riled up in in too many other things i'm kind of curious if you see political opportunity here i mean that's the fucking point of the show so like i'm curious if like there you see it that way or conversely you see it the other way to speak strongly against Julie Black from a political opportunity, political perspective. Your thoughts? I think that you'd have to go against character if you were going to speak against this or speak for this. So I think that um, the liberals could speak against it, the Democrats could speak against it, uh, and the conservatives could speak for it. I think you'd have to why go do against you have to be type. Against, why do you have to be against type? Why do you have to go against type on this? Why? Because otherwise, it's just, you're just going to be thrown. So if you're the liberals or the NDP and you speak for this, it's just again another example of your woke, culture trying to tell us what to do and changing everything that we just barely got comfortable with i still sing the words in all our sons command man because that's my anthem you know so you're going to be stuck in that woke not woke conversation but if you if you were the conservatives and you chose this and you said you know what this is the type of change that we could actually get get behind because it actually signals uh something that we want to signal which is we're more open to how we as a country, uh, work, work around First Nations issues, then maybe I could see it. But, like, I, wouldn't, I would not be advising Jagmeet Singh to jump in on this, and he'd be the most likely to jump in on it. I was trying to get there. That's ultimately the question. Yeah. Man. Corey, do you oh, want to jump in on this? The, political, the, the weekend political opportunity that some might be kind of batting around over, over WhatsApp and such for their political parties or their political leaders to say, do we jump in? Do we, do we scold? What do we do? Your thoughts on this? Fuck. I mean, don't, please. But I'm sure somebody will. I'm sure people will talk about the fact that we're now apparently just editing the Canadian Anthem by committee. Again, not a very good song. Can, Let's can just start there with not that? particularly compelling lyrics. It fills lyrics. my eyes with tears at every Olympics. It's only been our anthem since the early How 80s. We don't need to act like it's sacrosanct. But like I, I also I, oh, fuck, it just irritates me so much. I, also, again, to some of our other conversations about how quickly we forget our French-speaking compatriots in, in Quebec and beyond. Like, how do you intend to feather this one through? So in English, we say, first of all, the lyrics are totally different in both languages. The French one is basically a song of conquest, right? And it talks about Canada being land of our ancestors, you know? That's how it starts. Terre de nos aïeux, right? That's how, it, that's how it opens up. And now it's our home on native land is the English one. Like, the divergence, again, is pissing me off here. And it's it's just like we've got... We got other things that we got to focus on here, and one of them should be getting rid of the anthem overall because it's a bad anthem. So let's just get a better anthem let me, instead I'll, of trying let to fix our bad let, anthem. Carter, listen, listen to this. Harder to build trust from a distance. I think we should rule out commitment for now because we're falling apart, leaving. You're just doing that to get even. Don't pick up the pieces. Just leave it for now. They keep falling apart. Passion Fruit by Drake. Uh, that is that is my contender. So good. Uh, such a timely effective piece of of so uh, good. anthem writing anthem writing Stephen carter uh, i'm actually curious to see where this one goes personally i, I think this is going to be a topic that we talk about for a long time carter next one 
that kills you know me. Do, do, but Corey, can't you imagine it? This fucking talk show tomorrow. It's there. It's going to be. It's it's literally going to be. It's one of those fifty-one, forty-nine, sixty, forty issues that's just not going to go away. So is this just what we do now? Somebody throws out a change to the anthem by singing it at yeah. a major sporting event, and we debate yeah. it. Is this, this is what we're we going to do now? This is fucking Why just the so worst. Angry? Because it's a bad anthem, and it's we should just get rid of it. It's not a bad anthem. So your your problem is that she didn't edit it enough. Oh, she should just sang a better song if that's what her plan. No, I, no, that's not my problem. My problem is the national anthem has lyrics, and just like I think it's just the height of stupid when people start saying "In all thy sons command" when they know it's "In all of us command" is the lyric. I, I don't want people to start meddling with the anthem. We actually have a process if you feel that strongly about it. Use that. Avail yourself of that process. Don't just go around making changes because it better reflects your view of what needs to be prioritized in the anthem. Corey, overrated or underrated is our next question. Canada will soon get a new electoral map on the federal landscape, and that map seems to be tilting in favor of the conservatives, with the five seats being added. Three are in Alberta, conservative stronghold. One in BC, a seat that is carved out of the southern BC interior that tends to vote conservative. And while Ontario gets one more seat itself, uh, Toronto loses a seat, dropping from 25 to 24. Overrated or underrated the magnitude of impact this might have in terms of benefiting the Conservatives? Overrated or underrated in your mind? The five new seats that we're going to be adding to to the map. I I could make a case for either. I'm going to ultimately say underrated because it's pretty close. And uh, in some ways, it's overrated because this is just helping us catch up to demographic changes. And let's not forget, the Conservatives won the popular vote the last two elections. So why shouldn't there be a couple more seats that are more likely to to, to shift Conservative once you let the dust settle here? Carter, overrated or underrated? The five new seats seems like it's tilting more Conservative net overall. Your thoughts on this? Well, let's bring it back to the Alberta family. Um, when you can look at the uh, seat redistribution and the seat redrawing that occurred under Rachel Notley in, in her first term, um, you know that that has ha- is having significant implication right now on the election that we're about to fight. These things, um, to Corey's point, you know this is just simple math, uh, but that simple math changes outcomes and it changes elections. Uh, so th- this is likely underrated when you put it into the uh, just into the simple context of the Alberta family. Carter, on a scale of one to ten, how big of the uh, was a how big was the Rouleau report a win for the Trudeau government? One being not so much, ten being the massive political earth shattering victory that you you desperately needed, wanted, desired. On a scale of one to ten, what is it for you, Stephen Carter? As we round out the episode, two ounce, two answers. It was a um, it was a three in the Liberal family, and it was a uh, zero in the Conservative family because they'll just reject it anyways. Carter, uh, Corey, uh, and uh, finish us off here. On a scale of 1 to 10, how big of a win was this for the Trudeau Liberals? Zero. Didn't change. Well, no. I'm going to four. You know what? It was actually the best version of it. Best so version. You were all the over best the place there, man. The like, can you yeah, try wow. and take one position? Going from a zero to a four. Holy shit. What are you, a flight yeah. airlines flight? Whoa. I think it would have actually been worse if it was more of like a clean bill of health. I think it was good that there were a few things that the government was called out for, which that, like helped with legitimacy. That they should have done better, needed to do better. Uh, we're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1037 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, on your family day holiday, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.